Chapter forty seven of Mad Barbara by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty seven. For three weeks, John Gore rode almost daily to Thorn, starting out from Furze Farm toward dusk, sometimes spending the night at the ruin and riding back with the breaking of the day. He took over food with him, blankets, clean linen, and a keg of spirits, carrying something on each journey, yet keeping the whole matter as secret as he might. Mrs. Winnie and her man had to be enlightened in some measure, as they were folk who could be trusted when once their love had been won. For Sussex folk are often slow and surly in their likings, but they make good friends when they have forgiven the strangeness of an unfamiliar face. Nothing had ever gone more grimly against John Gore's nature than those first days of ministration to the refugee at Thorn. It was a question of will and effort, an ordeal of self-compulsion, lightened by a vague glimmer of magnanimity that Barbara's renunciation had inspired. For John Gore had closed heart and hand against his father, with the determined passion of a man whose nature was strong and combative, and none too gentle where infamy was concerned. The romantic rush of the past months was still with him, it was not easily hindered or turned aside into a sordid, shallow channel. Even in the flush of fighting, a man may throw down his sword and hold out a generous hand to a beaten enemy whose gallantry had touched his manhood. But the refugee at Thorn had roused no generous impulses as yet. Courage respects courage, even in a rogue. My lord seemed half an imbecile, half a coward. None of the finer manliness seemed left in him. He was servile, unclean, furtive, suspicious as an animal, lacking in all the grace of the nobler feelings. It was as though the perfumes and the colours of that complex flower, the gentleman of fashion, had evaporated and decayed, leaving the raw and naked self stripped in its ugliness to the last husk. John Gore had made a rough splint and bound his father's leg to it, and contrived a bed with straw and blankets that should keep him from sores and from the cold. A spark of my lord's easy cynicism had flashed out momentarily in the midst of his degradation. "'Mending a leg to break a neck, John. You are Puritan enough for that.' But it was a flash in the pan. Even the polite insolence seemed dead in him. He had caught his son's arm and clung to it pleadingly. "'Think better of me, John.' "'I came here to save the girl. I swear that before God.' And then he would show great cunning behind the chatterings of dismay, trying to worm from his son all that he knew, and also how he had come to know it. But John Gore kept a shut mouth and the face of a flint, the heart hard and contemptuous within him when he remembered the look in Barbara's eyes when she had spoken these words, "'I can forgive.' Surely there was no soul here worth forgiving, better dead. That was the grim judgment his heart uttered. Such was the first week at Thorn, with the dark rides to and fro along the woodland roads, the mournfulness and dolour of the winter landscape, love by the fireside, retribution amid ruins. Sometimes Barbara would walk out a little way toward Thorn in the hope of meeting John Gore upon the homeward ride. She could not but mark the bitterness in him, a certain questioning look about the eyes that seemed to gaze towards some inevitable end. The riddle would have been baffling enough, even if his heart had been in the solving of it. 
granted that the past were given to oblivion his father was a prescribed man there was some risk even in shielding him any day he might be discovered and taken nor could he tell barbara all that he saw at thorn it was too sordid too contemptible and yet his very reticence led her to understand perhaps she had more sympathy more vision than john gore that winter she knew what thorn could be even to one without guilt without physical pain without an eternal dread and with some one to bring food this man had gone down into the deeps of misery and degradation he had been starved and broken that was her thought once she asked john gore to let her see him but he shook his head and would not hear of it he thinks that i am dead john she said then let him think it god are we to make the thing so easy john john his fierceness hurt her a little seeming to wake a clash of discords in her as though the brazen gates of that closed tragedy were jarring wide again john don't speak like that dear his tenderness shone through the anger in him barbie you may forget i cannot when i touch your hand when i see the life in you i remember the memory of that night came back and she shuddered the dark room those throttling hands the violence and horror in the dark she looked at her lover and understood it is hard for you she said very gently for to john gore at that time it was like pampering a man who had sought to betray the honour of his wife the old year had gone the new was in with white hoar-frost on the grass and the boughs each dawn with a silvery smoke of mist melting into clear blue mornings january went plodding on a heavy toothless torpid month despite the frost and the shimmer of some night for january has little of the likeness of a child rather it appears as a grey old man labouring in the dusk and the mists of the morning at some task that no man sees it is a month when gnomes work below the ground labouring for the mystery of beauty that is to be touching the hidden seed with fire breathing into brown roots the colours of the flowers that shall come hereafter with january stephen gore's life seemed to sink to the lowest level of lethargy torpor fell upon him till he was like a frost-nipped plant with the sap congealed the leaves shrivelled and grey he would sleep for hours and even when awake lie staring at the beams in the ceiling above him his face blank and without intelligence he hardly ever spoke even the fever of fear left him he asked for nothing not even food john gore thought that my lord was dying and even picked out a place in the garden where he would bring him when he was dead yet it was not death with stephen gore but a stupor that nature had brought upon him even as the winter fields lie inert and frost crumbled under the sky fresh food and the warmth of the bed had a narcotic effect upon this man the half-starved body seized greedily upon everything and bade the mere mind sleep and so the mind slept on for many days as though helping forward the old adage mens sana incorpore sano for the body is but the stem of the tree of the senses and the sick body is often the cause of the sick mind toward the last week in january john gore saw a slow and subtle change in his father a change that came like the first thrusting of growth through the winter soil the flabbiness melted out of the man's face 
his eyes grew brighter and full of the intelligence of inward life he was still very silent but it was the silence of growth not the silence of paralysis john gore would find his father watching him not with the old furtive cringing look but with a kind of sadness a mute perplexity that betrayed the mind working behind the eyes more than once he had made tentative little attempts to show gratitude always watching his son's face as though conscious of its imperturbable sternness his son's face began to be a dial of destiny to him he could read the truth about himself in the younger man's grave eyes it became evident that stephen gore's manhood and his self-respect were returning to him slowly as he lay in the kitchen of thorn what his thoughts were john gore could only guess though he was struck by the change in his father the indefinable refining and strengthening of the outer and inner man as though my lord had ceased to be the animal and had come again to the cognizance of higher things they seldom spoke to each other these two nor did they venture beyond the trivial needs or happenings of the day both were conscious of the imminent and dark shadow and faltered before it sheltering behind reticence and procrastination yet john gore would see a certain look come into his father's eyes as though the man were dumb and were striving to speak and the first breaking of the superficial surface of reserve was caused by nothing more dramatic than a beard my lord's self-respect seemed intimately married to bodily cleanliness and perfection in dress silks and brocades and perfumes were beyond him perhaps he would not have asked for them even if they had been at hand but it was with a gleam of his old wit that he desired most humbly to be barbered and to be deprived of the hair that had grown at thorn john gore accepted the incident without a smile brought a razor with him next day and dutifully shaved my lord's upper lip and chin he had done his barbering in silence with the air of a man who had no care beyond the dexterity of his fingers when my lord laid a hand on his son's shoulder you would like to cut my throat john cut it they looked at each other squarely in the eyes stephen gore was the first to glance away nor should i blame you my son and that was all that passed between them over the shaving of my lord's chin john gore told barbara of the change in stephen gore and she listened with a faint smile hovering about her mouth as though her intuition gave her some vision of the future be gentle with him john she said i have heard it said that pottery is brittle when it first comes from the furnace then you think the clay has been recast child why should it not be so and he could only marvel at the change in her so the month went and my lord's grand air began to flutter out feebly like a faded butterfly on a sunny day in spring yet there was a certain humility about him that made john gore reflect for his father was very patient now strangely so for one who had sworn at lackeys often the son would catch a troubled shadow darkening the father's face he would drop his eyes when they met john gore's yet he watched his son almost hungrily when the son's back was turned it was a day in early february and john gore sat on simon pinniger's three-legged stool before the fire and cleaned his pistols that grew foul quickly in the damp winter air his father had been asleep and the son believed him still sleeping as he polished the barrels and scoured the powder pans he heard a slight movement behind him and turning sharply 
found my lord awake and watching him with thoughtful eyes. Both men coloured slightly. John Gore turned again and went on with his work. Then he heard his father speak. "'John, how long have I been here?' The son considered. Three months or so,' he answered. My lord sighed. "'This leg of mine is mending.' The son said nothing. "'I am wondering whether it is worth the mending. A man must die some day, though it is better that he should die like a man, not like a dog.' There was a minute's silence. John Gore could hear his father's breathing, but he went on doggedly with the cleaning of his pistols. "'John?' My lord spoke softly, almost pleadingly. "'Yes. Will you answer me a few questions?' "'Ask them.' Again there was a short pause. "'Have you any news from Westminster?' "'What news?' "'The Catholics. My friends. The rest.' John Gore laid one pistol down and took up the other. "'Coleman is dead,' he said curtly. "'Coleman? How?' "'The scaffold.' He heard his father mutter indistinctly, and the words sounded like the words of a Latin prayer. "'And the rest?' Some with Coleman, some in the tower and the jails, some scattered. London has been calling for blood. My lord lay very still. Then he turned slightly, and his eyes were on his son. And in Pall Mall? My lady Purcell? Yes. She died three months ago. There was another and a longer pause. John, and he spoke with effort. Yes. Why did you save me from dying? The son frowned at the fire. "'I do not know,' he said at last. "'John, you were always honest. Yet, God help me, with the irony of the truth.' Stephen Gore asked no more questions, but lay staring at the beams above him, his mouth twitching, his eyes glazed with a film of thought. He seemed to forget the presence of his son. The great dim world of the past and the vast beyond— that holds the past world in its shadows, engrossed the life in him, and he made no sound. As for John Gore, his heart was full of a conflict of strong emotions. Nor was his mouth so straight and stern when he turned and glanced at his father over his shoulder. Yet what he beheld moved him more deeply than any words my lord had spoken. For Stephen Gore's eyes were wet and blurred, and there was the glisten of tears upon his face. John Gore rose suddenly from before the fire, and, taking the pistols with him, went out without a word. He was half angry and half ashamed, for though pity had welled up like blood into his mouth, a rough and scolding bitterness pointed to the meaner motives of mankind, and the leer of a possible hypocrisy hardened his heart. He rode home toward Furze Farm, meeting a strong west wind that made the sky move fast and the ash boughs clash in the thickets. And in the woods north of the farm Barbara met him, where a number of old hollies threw up a wall of dense green gloom. He dismounted and kissed her with some of the brusqueness of a man whose eyes seem too shallow and whose heart is too near his lips. She let the strangeness in him pass, and they walked on side by side, the horse following at their heels. John Gore looked at the grass road before him, Barbara at the sky, and for nearly half a furlong they walked on thus in silence. John, you two have spoken. He glanced at her sharply as though wondering how she knew. Yes. What did he say to you? 
questions he asked questions about his friends about your mother what did you tell him john i told him the truth yes and then what could i say to the man curse him he wept she paused a moment taking her lover's arm and holding him back a little as though about to speak the impulse changed however and she walked on again with a light of infinite wisdom in her eyes for a man's nature is a proud and contrary thing she felt what was passing in john gore's heart and she was too tender and too prudent to drag it roughly into the light of day End of chapter forty seven